to another episode of The Expert Wife. My name is Tina, and I'm the host of this show. And today, I'm very honored, or I'm very happy to have a guest I have to admit I've never met before. And to have a little bit of a disclaimer, we met through the Open University, and this is not a paid advertisement by the Open University, even if we might talk a lot about it and we will probably praise um, how great their offerings are, but we will talk about this later. Uh, for now, I would like to hand over to Trump. Who are you? Where are you? Why are you on my show? Well, uh, hello, Tina, and uh, hello, Tina Hi. audience. My name is Trump. Um, how to spell that? T-R-A-M with a circumflex on the letter A. But let's just call me Sophie is my English name and it's easier. Uh, I say that in the words, <laughs> in the words of the expert's wife, I am just a newbie. Uh, not just because I'm a new wife, although it was like we're moving to a sugar anniversary at the end of this year. But my husband and I uh, have just so far been in only one non-home country. And there's a lot of fun and not so fun experiences for the last four years we're living abroad together. I am here today to share with you this journey. And I hope this cheer you up. It will. I'm sure. That's I like your journey. <laughs> Thank you. So where are you now? Which country are you in? Because I think even the country you're in is super exciting. And then do you also want to share which country you are from? Uh, yeah, sure. I uh, Here's a brief introduction uh, of our background. I am a Vietnamese. Uh, my husband is a British. Currently, we, we live in uh, Brunei. What, where is Brunei? And, uh, you know, the information about that, we talk about that later. It's very interesting. And mm -hmm. um, my husband uh, lived and worked in Vietnam for nearly a decade. But, you know, with uh, Tina and I, we were talking about not naming anyone uh, in this yes. show. So uh, I, uh, so let's call my husband, uh, give him a nickname, Mr. Cool. It's Mr. not cool. a fun name, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we met each other in Saigon. Uh, that's us that I was born in Saigon too. So we had a long dating period, got married, moved to Brunei about a year after our wedding. Brunei was also the first country that we traveled together during our dating time uh, with the approval of my parents. I need to explain this point. Uh, it's very common that an unmarried Vietnamese person lives with the parents after the wedding he or she could choose to move out or the spouse move in to live under one roof with the in-laws. Okay. So at that, yeah, it's very different with the Western culture. Yeah. And yes. at that time, I was not sure about what Mr. Cool future plan. Like, would he like to go further than just a boyfriend-girlfriend thing? If he wanted to tie a knot or move to, or will he move back to the UK or uh, he go to another place with me or he want to settle down in Vietnam? Everything was still unsure. Uh, we talked about that topic many times, but it was a complicated issue and we, and, and that topic didn't give us a, a happy discussion. So uh, I try not to think much about that 
And uh, one time he told me that he had applied to a new job in Brunei and uh, it could be the next destination for him or for us. So we had a short trip to Brunei together. And a few months after that trip, he proposed to me. But although he kept working in Saigon, the same company in Saigon, and the plan to live abroad didn't happen until two and a half years later. Okay. So that's uh yeah, that's brief background of ours, yeah, and our situation. So when you visited Brunei for the first time, so first of all, tell us a little bit about Brunei and how you visited the first time and what were your impressions when when you went there on your yeah the proposal trip I guess or the the first trip where he introduced you to Brunei and Brunei is very special I think I know hardly anyone who has ever been to Brunei so yeah yeah uh, do you remember when I told you that I'm based in Brunei and what was your reaction you guys are a little bit confused about where it is right exactly and I wasn't sure if it if Brunei is the country where Would I put happiness first? Is this the country? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's Bhutan. And well, That's you Bhutan. are not. Oh, yeah. You are not an exception. And, um, you know, my family, my friends, a lot of them, every time, every single time when they ask me how, you know, about the plan and how's the Brunei life, I always started, uh, you know, with the explanation or even show them the map. That's where Brunei is. And it's like my mom, she, because she's a senior and she, uh, she mixes up with, uh, Brunei, Bhutan, Dubai, you know, those kinds of things. And, uh, one of my friends even thought Brunei is in Europe, but it's just in South <laughs> okay. Asian country. Yeah. Just two hour flies from Vietnam. You know what? This is embarrassing. I, I, I still, you see, we need to say that we had a conversation before this. And in this conversation, until now, I thought, You are in Bhutan, and Bhutan and Brunei is no. the same. Now, about no, no, okay. don't be. Yeah, please don't be embarrassed about that because actually, I know about Brunei is a South Asian country, and no more than that. Yeah. So, of course, every I was so shocked when, well, it's not like a big shock though. But then uh, when my when Mr. Cool asked me to move to Brunei, it was like I had a lot of questions, and the first thing I did it is I like Google. You know, is that a country? Where is that? And what's it famous for? So, yeah. And, and so Brunei is basically on an on on an Indonesian island, is it? In the past, that's there's a place called Borneo that's included parts of Indonesia, Malaysia. Yeah, but okay, here's this. My I have just checked it out on the internet, and here it says. Geographically, it's one of the Southeast Asian countries and it's bordered to all sides by the Malaysian state of Sarawak, which divides it into two. The Malaysian part, Sarawak, it's basically that's the East Malaysia. It's not the Malaysia parks that next to Singapore. That's very different. And Brunei was a British protectorate in the late 19th century but again, fully independent since 1984. And it's a tiny state, but with high standard living, thanks to the oil and gas reserve. And this is not from me, this is from the internet. And okay. the politics of Brunei take the framework of absolute monarchy, uh, where the sultans, that's the king, a both head of state and heads of government. Yeah, and it's adopted Islamic Sharia law. 
So the Islamic Sharia law, that's the ring a bell to my parents because it's, <laughs> they, uh, we, we have in Vietnam, we have a tiny, uh, Islamic community. And actually, it's like we, that we, we should feel embarrassed because it's like we don't know much about them. And normally it's like on the news or you heard about the, uh, Islamic country, uh, you know, it's always with, um, you know, fighting wars or lots mm-hmm. of, uh, political conflicts and stuff like that. That's why lots of my friends and uh, family, I think they terrified when they heard about, I'm going to move to a Muslim country. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, well, yeah. So with that information, it's like I, I, ha- I have to admit that I had a, a low expectation on on how my life will be in Brunei. I could I could not depict myself, the lifestyle there and the culture, how I'm gonna fit in. And that I said earlier, Brunei was divided into two. So before COVID, two parks of Brunei was not connected. And when I visited Brunei the first time, we came to the big park. Uh, as known at mainland Brunei. And my first impression was not that. It's a peaceful place with fresh air and greenery. You know, for a, an urban girl like me, I grew up Saigon with... Saigon is uh, very urban. Yes, yes. And I, the Saigon lacked off the, the fresh air and the greens. You know, it, I feel like, um, it's not I feel like, but everyone, you know, uh, people said that it's, it's like a concrete jungle. And I agree with it. Yeah. So back to the trip to, to my first visit to Brunei, I did not have a chance to visit the, the small parks of Brunei. That's the, the remote districts that, uh, we, we would be located until years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were, you were, so yeah. What happened when you then finally moved? Because then you moved to the other part, right? <laughs> uh, you, you came to the greenery part. So. And then, then yeah. Yeah. And, uh, when we finally, you know, so it's like, uh, how did that happen? Well, I, 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 now, now I look back, I don't know how did I survive, you know, uh, during that time <laughs> because, um, well, I just follow my husband, like for the first few weeks, they put us, uh, in a small flat in the city because, um, the new, uh, that the new people, newcomer, gonna have um, two weeks of induction and orientation with the company, blah blah blah. And uh, after that, we uh, we left the city and uh, we we went to the jungle park. We had to drive through Malaysia to get into the small parts of Brunei. That's the first fascinating. That's the first fascinating thing happened to me. And and then we live in a small room in a small hotel. I think that's the only hotel in uh, the district at that time. And um, for a month while we are waiting for to be settled out, you know, so it's like with housing, at, f- finding a house and buying a car, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's so many things that I, I had to learn and the lots of new concepts that I have to, I have to adapt. Y- y- you know, like in Vietnam, I live in a bit, a big city that I got everything around me. Mm-hmm. I got used to with online shopping mm-hmm. and we ate out a lot. And, uh, I went to work and when I need anything, I don't have to go to the shop. I just, yeah. uh, uh, order online. 
But this here, is very important. Um, just just a second. This is so important when you've never lived in Saigon. I have to say, I have never lived in, in a city, and which was so convenient if we're, when it comes down to to online shopping, because even mm. in Hanoi where we are now, it's not as convenient. Because in Saigon, you basically you realize you don't have milk, and you type in in an app, need milk, and the milk will be there within ten minutes. So yeah, mm. moving from and and eating out. I mean, there is a restaurant at every every corner in Saigon, right? So moving from this yeah. standard to the jungle, yay! Okay, <laughs> now keep on talking. <laughs> right, and uh, everyone in Saigon got a motorbike. Um, my husband had his own motorbike. I think it was like he bought a motorbike. <laughs> Uh, not not long after he came to Vietnam, yeah, and then it's like it's because of a motorbike culture, and you need you got a motorbike, you you go wherever you want, and um, uh, you know the the housing, the zoning, you know, in other city, it's based on a motorbike culture. Compared to Brunei, it's a car culture because it's like it's difficult to. I have to say that it's like public transport is not popular in Brunei. Everyone got a car, or every or some people they got two or three cars. That's very um, usual here. And if you don't have a car, it's just difficult to to go anywhere. Or mm-hmm. and I feel like my legs were gone without a mm-hmm. car. So mm-hmm. for the first uh, few months, I I stuck in I just stuck indoor in a hotel and then moved to a house, but then still far away. We chose to live near the, the center of the town, but even they call it a center of the town, but it's just a small area with four or five restaurants, a few shops selling local products, um, a small market, and that's it. And most of the people, they went to um, the Big Brunei by uh, taking a ferry. Uh, so we okay. had to go yeah, to a ferry. But the funny thing is that the ferry just run... In the daytime only, it stopped that the last trip stopped at five because it's dangerous to to go after that time, maybe because of crocodiles or something like that. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and when if, if you choose to drive through Malaysia, it, it's fine, but then you you need to uh, schedule your your timetable. Why? Because the border. The border, the border closed um, between midnight to six a.m. So, uh, if it's not an emergency, so basically it's like you 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 stuck in a house in a small place in a town because it's mm-hmm. like um, yeah, and that's a frog shop. I thought I would be okay, but then in in reality, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to to explain. Like I, I have never lived that life, you know, in Saigon. Like you, even you don't drive a motorbike, but you you got like because of the uh, sale service, you know, that's the you you call for a service, you know, uh, someone mm-hmm. pick you up on their motorbike, blah blah blah. Yeah, but here yeah, taxi, mm-hmm. no no taxi at all, <laughs> and um, no bus. Yeah, so yeah, oh, God. so just uh, live on your feet. Yeah, then um, I think I was okay for the first few few weeks but um one day i remember this is that i busted into tears because i realized it was like i'm trapped yeah that that's funny <laughs> now i look at, I, I think that's funny yeah 
It, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's funny and it's not funny because yes, it is, of course. And I can only, everyone who, because uh, who wants to know more about Brunei and how trapped it really looks is just have a look basically on the map because it's really interesting how you have these two parts. But so now I have two questions. Um, the first one, which, which came to me, you were talking about that Brunei uh, has applied the Sharia law. And to me, I always, and you see, this is me not being too educated about this all, but doesn't Sharia law also mean you have to wear a headscarf all the time? And you are not allowed to go out with your husband, or is this just my whatever idea? That's the interesting part. It's Sharia law applied to um, Muslim citizens only, or oh. Muslim people only. If you are a foreigner, you are a Muslim, so you 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 bow by Sharia law. But uh, you, but if even you are a local people, but you're not a Muslim, so. You 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 not bound by Sharia law, so I don't mm. have to wear uh, a hijab or tudong. That's what people call here, uh, or you know a headscarf. I don't have to wear that. I can go out by myself without my husband. Um, that's totally fine. And um, well, uh, in, I don't know how to say this, but uh, sometimes what the people want you to know. And I think that the local people, they, they expect that you know about the law and you obey the law. In theory, even if it's like in real life, it's a little bit more relaxing. Like I heard about, uh, you know, not holding hands, couples should not holding hands in public or, mm -hmm. you know, like same-sex marriage is not tolerated here. And women should not wear shorts or short skirts or uh, sleeveless. Well, if you live here, you see, it's like in some expats area, you you wear whatever you want. You wear jeans, you wear a short skirt. Even it's like they local, they Bruneian, they what they want in some uh, special in some area and uh, for special circumstances like Chinese New Year or something like that. That's totally fine. So it's not like uh, an extreme Sharia law adoption. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, so this is interesting. So yeah, you see, this is the Western perspective and often it's very different to what we hear. Um, the other question, um, which I think is quite interesting, you know how often it's talked about, even I talk about it, this honeymoon phase and how you are in honeymoon the first two, whatever, the first mm. time you move somewhere. Um, mm. Did you ever have a honeymoon phase when you moved to Brunei? <laughs> well, I um. Well, it's it's it, well, I don't, I don't. Uh, I have to say something that I. Uh, there was a time I do believe that I I am um, a bad luck girl because of like I attracted uh, lots of bad things. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why, but uh, when I started um, something new, or when I I I. I got a new job. I got um, and you know, in a new relationship, or when I got a new, a change and a change into a new environment, I I didn't have the honeymoon phase. I got the worst phase first. I'm not sure <laughs> is that bad or good, but I always it's always came with the worst thing first, and things getting better later. 
somehow. Yeah, luckily. I mean, and, I think um, it is nice, isn't it, when you have this? And of course, it's not nice when you have any bad experience. It's not nice, whatever. Especially when you move somewhere, then you feel this. Oh, what I have done, but. Maybe it is nice when you don't feel it's getting better and then maybe you can appreciate it, it in a different way. It, yeah, yeah, I agree. But it, it is nice when you look back, but when you're in it, you don't know it never, you, you, you got a thought, you don't know when it shall end, you know, you don't know how long it's going to last. It might last forever. <laughs> and yeah, those kinds of things. So um, I didn't like where we live in the beginning. I didn't like the lifestyle there and um, just for the first few months when I had to wait it for the paperwork um, the, the, the procedure of paperwork uh, to completely finished um, that I could because I they give you because of um, identify card and with mm -hmm. on, with that card you allowed to do many things but without the card with just your passport only there's you are limited by lots of things like uh got like getting a uh, health insurance and uh learning to drive a car or something like that and um because it is it's a muslim country so um it's funny for me like i on on my uh identity card i the information is that the job title is housewife you know it's not a job title mm -hmm. it's occupation is housewife it's on the card and also it's like with the um the, the information of your husband so that that's the shocking thing to me um i think with my personal issue i I was a little bit of the mid-20 crisis at the time or something like that. Maybe many of you could relate to this. But from but because I I had a, I was working when I was in Saigon. I had a job and uh, the job didn't bring me a big salary, but I liked my job uh, enough that just thinking about leaving in another country with one source of income, that mm -hmm. sounds very risky. Yeah. And the idea of being a full-time housewife or the stay home wife that scare me um mm -hmm. especially since that we don't plan to have kids and the thing is i you know in in a jungle area a rural area it's like there's not many opportunities for me to 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 find myself um a job or a thing to do even it's just volunteer job no mm -hmm. yeah so actually i got the um the mini crisis for the first year that I was in uh, in the rural district. Yeah, but things would, things changed. Yeah, would you in theory be able or allowed to work, or do you, you don't have any um, any work permit coming with your um, husband's work status? Uh, only a difficult. I think that the law, the law said that it's like with independent visa, you're not allowed mm -hmm. to work unless you, mm -hmm. you find yourself a, um, an independent, um, work visa sponsor. So that's mean you have mm -hmm. to, you got to find yourself, um, your own employers you? first. Yeah. Yeah. To get the work permit first. I mean, this um, is in most countries what, the case. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But the thing is, it's like, Brunei is a is a tiny country, and mm -hmm. um, you know most of the 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 job recruitment they they stay very clear on the recruitment information. That's uh, just uh, this job is just apply for uh, Bruneian or uh, permanent residents only. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. you, you see this majorities of the um, the jobs in the market, uh, they, they got that phrase. So, so actually, it's like there's just a few. I think that there are still some company recruit foreign workers, but it's um it's limits. You know, we got a lot of um Indonesian, uh, Filipinos, uh, working as um uh, helpers or shop assistants. Um, and we got a lot of Indians, Bangladeshis, uh, workers working in a construction site. An, an urban girl like me, work experience I had before is just based on the um, the service industry. Um, you know, like um, hospitality and uh, trading in uh, you know those kinds of stuff. It's it's very difficult just to to find um, uh, uh, my my own employers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if you file one, it might be a contract, a contrast with the um with the timetable because my husband, uh Mr. Koo, he's an English teacher and um in an English teacher in a public school. So that's mean uh the, the school follow the uh Muslim uh, Islamic calendar. That's different with the system. Uh if you are a teacher and um a British international school, you got a different schedule. So you and, and your spouse working uh, in different system like that, you might have different holiday. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this, this brings another level to it. Yeah, no, this is true. Yeah. And so um, you are living now in Brunei for nearly five years, right? So what, so how did you get out? Because you said everything got better later. So what did you do? First of all, was that expat group? So I, I just want to ask the silly question, you know, because we were always talking about go to an expat group, find a group with interest people. Who do you find in a jungle? <laughs> Is it monkeys? <laughs> do you have anything in common with crocodiles? <laughs> oh, so well. Who became your friends? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, it's dangerous to make friends with a crocodile. But uh, yes. it's interesting because it's like, um, yeah, let's talk about the monkeys and the crocodiles. It's just, uh, I don't see monkeys around. You know, it's, it's like, well, I, I need I, I need you to remind me, you know, just focus on the topic because I might just be uh, wandering around the, um, you know, the side topics. And, no, this is uh, interesting. Keep on going. This is nice. Yeah. Well, well, it is jungle. So we got the uh, monitor lizards, we got crocodiles, we got monkeys, three cars of monkeys. That's how exciting it is. I didn't know about these things before. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say that like the, the rural area where, where we live, is a, a, it's got the tiny population and the expert communities that's um, always less than the number 10, always. Oh, wow. And okay. Yeah. But sometimes it's just five. <laughs> yeah, so you have five. Moving. You have five to ten oh. experts around you. Well, this is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that base here basically, and um, just a tiny community. Um, when you need them, like emergency, uh, kinds of crisis or emergency issue, they are there for you. They're always there mm-hmm. for you. Very mm-hmm. supportive. But when you are fine now, you settle. If you want to have fun. Or you want to see people for a cup of coffee, no one show up. Okay, why? Why? Well, 
I I don't know. I think that cause of the limitations of places to go to, and so that's why you after after work you just go home or you 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 go hiking and then it's like you see people outdoor or visit each other houses and that's it. And I think that's me that's make people feel uncomfortable when they have to uh, uh, or, or or when they have to house people uh, at their house. That that's my that that's my uh, that's my thought, my personal thought, because I have never asked, I have never asked the people. It's like why we never met up or something like that. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe because it's like it's just so, you know, you go to work, you you have to sociable a lot, um, and then that's that's uh, you out of energy, and when you have a free time, you just want to enjoy yourself at home. Or you find another, or, or you go to the big city. You try a bigger group when no one's really uh, know about who you are, or something. Or maybe it's just like you just have a much more interesting community somewhere else, but not here. So That's is, it, is it like is it possible to to go to the bigger city, or is this like a day's drive? And talking about driving, because I think this is important. You need to talk about this as well. Um, because I like this part uh, that you are now very mobile and you have now four legs. But what what is the um, so is the, how far is the biggest city? Uh, so like I said before the COVID, the Brunei was separated into two parts. There was there was no connection, but because of the COVID, so they have to they they there was a bridge has been building uh, before the COVID time. But even it just partly, it's not total, it wasn't totally finished. Uh, when, um, you know, it's like the, 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 the year of the, um, the COVID started, they decided to open the bridge just to connect the two parks of Brunei. So, so that's when we started to, to, to go to the city more often. And even with the bridge, it, um, is about 60 kilometer, um, to go to the big city, that's about an hour drive. Um, that's a, a that's a thirty kilometer long bridge. Uh, you know, really? it's cross. Yeah, it's it's cross the estuary. Yeah, it's beautiful. You've got a beautiful view, but um, sometimes the the driving is not so fun on the bridge because of the weather. Um, you got the tropical weather. You got the uh, unpredictable rain that just come anytime. Uh, yeah. And so this bridge goes over Malaysia. No, it it doesn't go over Malaysia. It it's connect two parks of Brunei. Like, yeah, I don't know how to how to describe this. That's cross the 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 the, the gate of the sea. Um, ah. it, it's an estuary, so it's where the the salt water and the fresh water meet each other as a mangrove forest, and um, that's and so that bridge that's connects that way. So we don't have to go through Malaysia anymore. Now I see. Okay. Yeah. I have to say, so be, be, when you listen to the show, <laughs> please go on Google Maps and you will see this bridge. Now yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's, yeah. yeah. And it's a very long bridge and it, even on Google Maps, it looks scary. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? I think that's like one time you and your family should visit me in Brunei and then I show you and then it's like you understand what I was talking about. I have to admit, as more as I talk to you, I feel like I want to go to Brunei. I want to see this. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. 
before we we went to the local people went to the big city by ferry. It's forty minutes on the, the sea. It's not yeah the, like the river and the sea. And uh, if you drive through Malaysia, it's uh it's more than a hundred kilometers and a two hour drive. And with foreigner like us, that's that's four to eight stamps on the passport each time we travel. So you you we we couldn't travel frequently because we need to um. Uh, check on the the passport page. The pages it's run quickly, just after one or two months. Yeah, you need to be careful with that. Yeah, and this is this funny with the with this just passport stamps because it, I mean we never lived, but when we when we lived, I remember when we lived in China, we had this problem that one summer uh-huh. we needed to travel, but we also needed a free page in our passports to renew our visa. I remember it was, mm. this, oh, we can't do this trip because we need to get the visa. So we got <laughs> the passports before we travel. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These are the that, things you never funny. think about. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Like my passport lasted for 10 years and then it's like, I I just use it like before, before I came to Brunei, I just got like, one or two pages that fill with stamps, right? And can you believe that? With just the first six months I was in Brunei, nearly half of my passports ran out, the pages. <laughs> just because of the stamps. Every time we travel to the big city by car. That's you're really not funny. Exciting exciting travels. No, it's you're just going shopping. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Okay, but now let's talk about because you started off with that you only have in 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 Saigon yeah it's it's a motorbike city and you told mm. me when we talked before that you didn't have a driving license for a car so now you moved to a country where you clearly needed a car so what did you do well i uh, yeah so i i didn't think that i would drive a car in saigon that i got a reason for that the first is pricey and it's not about a car but it's about it's like the park there's no parking space and stuff like that and the the house that i i live with my parents is a, is a townhouse you know so it's like an in an alley so it's a cul-de-sac that's like there's no parking there's no parking building or parking lots around so it's, i have them thought that i I, I need a car. And that's so when I moved to Brunei, it's a car culture. So mm-hmm. the first thing I knew that I would I would do, that I should do, I must do, that's obtaining a driving lesson. But it's not easy that like I thought because like I said I had to wait for a long time to to get the uh, the identity card. So with that card, then I'd be allowed to register to learn um and to uh, how can i say like to to learn the uh, to learn driving but not practice yet just the yeah just the the, oh. the the highway code yeah so you need to do the to, to you need to learn the highway code when you pass the highway code test um then you allow to to learn drive to learn driving like practice driving but it started with parking and stuff like that. So it like, you know, two or three months with all with, with the procedure. And plus with for weeks I, I've been waited for 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 the for for the identity card. I thought why, why, why it took so so long? You know, I, I didn't understand about the 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 paperwork procedure, but like in Saigon, like we we had different cultures, like different thing, and um, yeah. So I think that's the most challenging part. Yeah, 
And when I, but then as I went, I learned to drive a car because I, I live, like I said, it's, like, it's a rural area. So uh, even I got the driving license, but driving in the rural area is much easier. Uh, it's easier than you know driving in the city. And the first time that I I try I drove in the city, I was freaked out because um, if people around me they're just so fast, right? And they got the um, and with roundabout and changing lanes and local people like they 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 know the the route um, mm-hmm. the directions. Yeah, but I I did I did not know anything. And because as I we got an old car. It's not like a modern car with technology with GPS or something like that. All we got is just like a phone, <laughs> but it, it, you know, with, with, with no, with no, um, car mouth. And then it's like one, one of us is like read the map, say it out loud and direct for the other to drive. So it freaked me out. It freaked me out. And I, I think that it's like, um, even I got the driving license, but like I was not so confident. And every time it was like I was in the city, it was like I, many times it's like I I cry, you know, while driving. And um, I think because of the COVID things, I don't want to say I'm not so I should I should not be so excited to talk about a COVID time. But I have to say that because we couldn't go anywhere else, and that the cities that's the only uh, the the only place that we we got to go there every week just to shop for our grocery, and um, my driving skill is much much better, and I'm I'm confident driving, yeah. But and then I got a reverse culture shock when I back to Vietnam last year. I couldn't drive a motorbike. I really? freaked out about the traffic in Vietnam, <laughs> and because it's like when I learned driving, yeah, and, yeah. you know the, the driving it's different. Like in Vietnam, like you drive on the right. And then Brunei, it's follow the UK system. So it's driving on the left. So, oh. and somehow, yeah, yeah. So, so somehow that when I back to Vietnam again, I, my brain just, uh, it couldn't switch uh, quickly. So I just mix up the left and the right. So that's why it's like, I'm confused um, by motorbikes. And um, in Vietnam, it's like the road is just uh, uh, smaller. And you, you've got like bus, taxi, uh, motorbike, pedestrians, bicycle, everyone, we, we share lands together. But in Brunei, it's different. Yeah. So, yeah. It's and just this funny. is when really funny. A, a shock. Yeah, it is. It, <laughs> it is. is. Because I was telling you this story before we started the recording that I'm so used to now to Vietnam traffic means I walk like it. Not probably not like a Vietnamese, but I'm walking more and more like a Vietnamese. I have even now started riding a push bike means mm. I kind of I'm getting used to this I I will never fully understand Vietnamese traffic and this is why I would never <laughs> me personally would never ever drive a car and I'm not even sure about a motorbike but it's this you're getting used to it and you're feeling in this craziness once you're in it I really always feel safe and it it doesn't make sense when you look at it from the outside but once you're mm. in Vietnamese traffic you are safe but and this is what I told you earlier. I traveled back to Europe this summer. I am in Europe at the moment. And a friend mm. of mine had to rescue me from European traffic because I acted like a Vietnamese. In the end, I told him, I just stick it, put a sticker on my head and say, hi, I, I might, might appear as European, but I'm Vietnamese. So that people understand why I'm just walking into the traffic. Even the car is coming. <laughs> 
<laughs> I nearly got no. hit, I nearly got hit by a tram and uh, a lorry and a car. <laughs> Because it was this oh my far God. away. I can just walk. And then he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, okay, yeah. So this, I understand. And I think many people can relate to that. You're getting used to this. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's hard to back, adapt back. But yeah, okay. So you started driving. But oh, that, did you, that, did you, yeah. Did you eventually learn to drive your motorbike back in Saigon after a short time? Or did you just didn't dare again? Oh, well, I didn't drive much. I went, every time I drive back to Saigon, I am terrified by the traffic. <laughs> it's just funny. It's funny. Last time I think I came back to it. I, 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 I'm going to tell you a story. That's um, last day, last um, Lunar New Year. I came back to, to live with my parents um, in the, the suburb, um, the outskirts of Saigon. I got uh, appointments with my friends in... Um, in town, downtown, uh, city center. And then I I was so worried. I don't know how I'm going to get there by motorbike. So every time I back to Saigon, it, it's like I, I travel. I, I often um, go around by, you know, with the Grab cars. Yeah, I, I just feel safe on the cars now. And because it's like every time we see people, um, we take um, drinks, alcohol drinks or something like that. So it's like it, we feel like it's, it's, um, it's safe, you know, um, to go uh, to 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 go on a car, to be on a car rather than driving motorbikes ourselves. I was so confident again on a motorbike, and um, even my parents scared for me. And um, I think it was like the couple of times that my mum drove me. My mum is uh, seventy years old. She she drove me. Uh, she she took me to the downtown um, on a motorbike, and um, I I'm not sure. Um, how you any of you I feel related like this was in Vietnam it was like um you sometimes you 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 feel unsafe when you drive and by um a senior people because uh, mm -hmm. they, they might not see well yeah but I I got I got that kind of fear but I have to say that there's like my my mom's driving skill is much better than me um <laughs> Cause, yeah, and and she was so annoyed when I sitting behind her and just kept shouting and kept complaining. But I didn't complaining. I just say like, "Oh, mom, it's like, did you see the car on the left? The cars on the back. It's, it's like, why are you so fast or something like that? Where's your signal?" So I annoyed my mom, and the next day my mom just was like, uh, "No, I'm not driving you anymore." Something like that. You know, so I just just bought a grab car, <laughs> go by myself. Yeah, I I got that kind of um, worry, you know, when I'm on a motorbike. Yeah, and um, that that's weird. That that's so weird because me before Brunei, I you know I felt like I was born on a motorbike. I know a lot of um, Ali Shocket, right? I I wasn't. That's a, a wild. Um, like most of the Vietnamese people when driving, I I'm a cautious uh, driver. But, uh, you know, with confidence, look on the left, look on the right, you know, always mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the, uh, the RLM mode. And mm -hmm. I remember that as I went, when I learned driving and it's like when my instructor put me on the highway and because it's like in Vietnam, sometimes it's like even you, you follow the road, you follow the road and you, you'll be scolded by people's around you. You know, it's happened. <laughs> It happens like that. And uh, speak road to small road, more road to speak road in Vietnam is that like you might not need to give way. There's no um, 
in some area it's like because it's traffic jam everywhere so uh, the, the rules of vietnam the rule of driving in vietnam is like feeling uh fill fill in um fit fill in the blank yes um where there's a blank yeah. so you got to fill in but in brunei that's different and then as i many times my uh my husband missed the cool like just shouted at me because as i it it was on my priority I, I forgot and I just acted like a Vietnamese, a cautious Vietnamese. And then it's like I slow down and where I shouldn't slow down like that. And yeah, he said, I like, no, you can't be slowed down. It's just because got cars behind you, fast car behind you or something like that. It's, it's, it's very different uh, compared to the Vietnamese uh, driving uh, culture. But then I got through the, the, the worry, the, the, the fear of driving because I I think it's like my, my, my life and my perplex, not my life, but my perplexity, my pores have feel changed when, since I started driving, because I'm able to go many places, um, without depending on my husband's schedule. And I, I just discover more things, you know, on my own by myself and just enjoy the moment of driving, you know, got the, someday you got a beautiful, uh, day beautiful weather you've got beautiful scenery and you just drive around and you feel happy and that's that's mm-hmm. the the feeling that i didn't have before when i was in vietnam this is beautiful so you completely embrace the jungle and uh, the nature and is, is this right so you're you yeah you are yeah, loving uh, everything. yeah i think that also because thanks to the internet nowadays if I, I don't feel like disconnected from the world because I got the internet mm-hmm. and um during the um the pandemic time we 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 had a I had a loss of um online shopping because it's actually it's like Brunei is a tiny country and um it's not it's by it, people live on um oils and gas uh, more than um farming or agriculture so basically, it is like most of the things in Brunei um, that's imported. So, um, so, so in, in Brunei, there's a, a kind of um, culture is very popular. That's um, personal shopping. That's people um, go to Malaysia, Singapore, the UK, Australia, the US, and just to to do the um, personal shopping service. And some people do that like professionally. Mm. You know, yeah. And so, so to say it, I didn't uh, do, I, I think that when I was in Vietnam, I, I tried to remember, but maybe that I didn't do, um, I, I didn't, uh, do the, um, the global shopping, the worldwide shopping like that, because it's like basically in Vietnam, like you don't need to, you've got everything, uh, you can shop local easily, but, um, here it's, it's quite difficult. Yes. Yeah, so I learned about the online shopping. When I was in Brunei, you know, it's like, for example, it's like just order um, some of the the clothes for for Mister Cool uh, from the UK because it's like he um, he's a big guy, so it it's there's no way it's difficult for him to to shop for clothes and shoes, you know, in, in Asia, in the entire mm-hmm. Asia, <laughs> yeah. And uh, when we yeah. had to, and I had, yeah, that's I think that's a very helpful skill to learn and got the chance to use it yeah absolutely but so now let's move because 
So when we are now that we are talking about the internet, um, maybe I don't know if everyone is familiar, but now let's talk about the OU. So the OU that I mentioned in the beginning, I should have maybe explained it a little bit more. The OU is uh, the Open University. The Open University uh, of the UK is apparently one of the biggest universities worldwide, and it is the biggest online university. I would like, I can't, I can't remember, you see, 10 minutes ago, I knew the numbers. I don't know the numbers at the moment, but they have a huge amount of students. And they exist for, I don't know, they had an anniversary just now. Was it 30 years? 50 years of course it wasn't online at that time but it's basically called a distance university it means wherever in the world you are living you can study and you don't have to be british because yeah mm -hmm. sophie neither neither sophie you nor neither me are british citizens but um so they offer a great program um to live to for long distance learning so before covid i think there were you sometimes had to go to an exam center to, to sit your exams there but most courses have even changed this now so you can even do your exams online and we both study with the open university um and this is we met i actually asked which i think i remember now and it was really funny because i asked in the international student group Hey, has anyone experienced how long the books will take to, to arrive in Saigon? Um, and because they still have books, I don't know if they will ever change it, but you still get books uh, delivered, which is nice. I sometimes like having a physical book, but anyway, and so, and then you were the one who replied and said, Oh my God, Hey, I am from Saigon, but I'm living in the jungle. I remember that you, you posted this and then we were going backwards and forwards on, okay, if you live in the jungle and you receive your books, then I, in Saigon should we receive my books for sure. I actually received them. Yeah, anyway, so now, Sophie, what are you studying at the Open University and why are you studying the subject you are studying? I think it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Actually, I'm a little bit shy when I when I uh, share this with people because I'm I'm doing I'm studying law, uh, a proper law degree. And why am I shy about this? Because I do think that my English is not good enough in terms of speaking in academic English. And uh, when I when I speak English, I I, I just not confident at all. Um, I I don't think I want to sound like a native speaker, a highly a highly educated native speakers to be recited. <laughs> and that's why I I'm not confident when I. I I I told people that I am studying law because I'm afraid they're gonna judge me. You know, I sh but, I should not. I should not feel no, like that. No, you shouldn't. But, yeah, because your English is excellent. And but maybe this is also important for all non-English speakers um, thinking about studying with the Open University. I told you in the beginning I'm going to advertise the Open University, and no, we are not going paid paid for this. Um, because what I feel is, first of all, of course, your English is excellent. But what I feel is, when you first start, you feel a bit like, so the, the, when I had to write my first essay, it was a disaster because I, academic English is completely different to speaking English. But what helped me a lot was that there were so many native English people who mm. 
I don't know if you experienced this, but I felt like there were so many native English who didn't, whose English weren't as good as I expected it to be. I mean, I'm, I'm studying art history and, and bachelor uh -huh. in art and humanity. So this might be, might be a completely different set of people. Mm. But didn't you feel the same that in the end you realize your English is good and you learn along the way? Because my vocabulary has, has, increased enormously because I was just learning along the way and because university open university is actually catering for people who do not necessarily have to have an A level or IB or high school degrees. They are catering for people who mm. say, I want to change my life. I want to turn around. And no matter mm. which ability you have, and this is so even for native English, they teach English to a higher extent. Mm. At least this was in my course. But now Now it's your turn. Sorry, you see, I'm getting very excited about the Open University. So now you... <laughs> <laughs> now tell me about your experience. <laughs> oh, I, I think I've got the same experience. Um, but then, um, you know, I, I'm sure that there's like... Um, I do believe that there's like a lot of uh, the Open University students have the same uh, worry, the same mm -hmm. ner nervousness like, like we have, or we had. Um, a lot of uh, questions, a lot of concerns. Like, is that a proper de degree? Um, mm -hmm. You know, is that uh, the, the the creditability of the uh, distant learning degree or something like that? And a lot of people, they um, they they, you know, we we all. I think most of the students of the open university are the grow ups, like have a jobs, uh, go to work already, or you know, if they are seniors, are uh, they? Um, They want to change the career path when they um over uh when they in their midlife or something, and mm -hmm. um I think that's a uh the OU is a great platform for people uh earning and learning who want to earning and learning at the same times, or they have um other the responsibility in life like taking care of a family you know if they are a carer or especially people with disability and mm -hmm. everyone is equal when you start with the open university and mm -hmm. i think the target here that's the lifelong learning so mm -hmm. i got that concept yeah uh when i seriously thinking about what i'm going to do in brunei because i i can't find a job here i can't work here so that means I would be blunt. My skill would be blunt. I I was mm -hmm. working in um, a trading, uh, a small trading company in Vietnam, uh, imports coffee machines. My title that time was like a business manager. It's a small company, so I had to do a lot of things by myself. Uh, you know, I would it would uh, our small team uh, did a lot of um, thing just to run the company, and I felt like I I was so skillful. I I got street mark, and when most of our customer was um, foreigner, uh, wealthy foreigner, so maybe that's make me feel like I've got a uh, kind of a little high status, uh, not that high, but still high status uh, compared mm -hmm. to uh, other Vietnamese people. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then that's the the thoughts of being blunt and not working and not um, earning money. That's that's the That's the most scary thing for me when I choose to uh, relocate in an, a new country with my spouse. 
that's what I, I, I know that it's like the next step is going to learn. But how? How? And before the COVID, it's like distant learning uh, was, was not a big thing. And I, at first, the, the initial thoughts was um, doing the, um, the face-to-face learning with a, a university in Brunei. But I found out that's, that was impossible because with our um, location, where, where, where we live in a, a rural area, it takes a lot of efforts just to go to the city, just mm-hmm. to uh, study. And um, because uh, Brunei is a small country, so there are not many options on universities. And uh, even as I, the, the major, that the subjects that they provided also limited. So I had, I, I had no, um, uh, no, no options to study in Brunei if, eventually. And then as I, uh, my spouse introduced me about the uh, open university, um, because, um, his, I think it's like one of his cousin-in-law did that before. And that's why he, he got the information and then he showed me the information. And, um, I just started. Yeah. Just why not? Or maybe because mm-hmm. it's like you have no option and you got nothing to do. So just do one thing. Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't do law uh, immediately because um, it's been a long time that I back to the um, academic learning and academic study. And then also I didn't, I didn't have um, a degree when I was in Vietnam. Yeah. So I'm not confident either way. And so I, I warm up myself with um, the English and literature modules first. And, and then after that, mm-hmm. I started, uh, about doing law because I, like I said, it's like the sad thing about an urban, an urban girl grow up, uh, like, like the way I, I was like, I got no hobby. I was directed to study a lot, like okay. study hard, but it just like, you know, just, just, um, just a few main subjects at school. And to my parents, study hard, that means you get a high score at school. You got to all of your performance is on the, based on the score only. And like you, you, I, so I ended up with grew up with no sport, no, no art skill. And so, so language is my strength because I'm an Asian, but I'm very bad at math. Yeah. So I can't go for natural science study or something like that. So I just realized this language is, that's the only strength that I've got. And even it's not so great, but that's, that's the, but I don't, I, I don't think that is like I'm suitable to, um, to, to be a linguistic, you know, uh, to study deeply in, in, in language, in linguistic or become a linguistic teacher. I can't see myself in that pathway. And, um, so that's why I just try with, um, a few models of a uh, legal foundation yeah and now i'm i'm halfway i i i will be moved to um the level three the last level next year and um oh, wow. yeah and and so far so good i i got my score now it, it it's not extinction but um it, it's okay but it's not too it's not so bad yeah it's above the the average yeah so <laughs> i'm above the average and i'm i'm proud of it you know what I my in my first the first few assignments I was always like because when you get forty percent it's then it it means you have passed and I was always like I just want to get forty percent I just want to get forty percent I don't want to get higher than forty percent <laughs> and then and then I think my my first module I had forty nine percent and I was not my module my first my first assignment was forty nine percent 
I was celebrating yeah, yeah, yeah. until I realized. That. And then, you know, I, I gradually got more, um, how you say, ambitious. And then, you know, I, I wanted to have higher marks. But in the end, I'm, I, I will never get an extension. And I, or at first, I, but because, but I'm always thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not native. And I think as long as you pass this mod, the, the whole thing, um, it's fine because this is all it needs. And I mean, we came a long way. Again, not negative mm. English. And I think whatever subject you study in a university, it is a completely mm. cu different cup of tea than just doing, yeah, than basically working. And this is what I feel. It's just, yeah. So be proud, whatever you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've got to be clear to, with myself. It's just like I'm studying law. It doesn't mean it's like I become a lawyer, but it's just a way of, um, uh, you know, training my brain, feeding my brain. You know, I like got to it make my brain work hard. You know, just to mm -hmm. to to keep the sharpness. You know, it's like or you know, uh, people say something like uh, use it or lose it. Yeah, so I got to think. Oh, I'm going. Oh, I'm gonna. That lose the um, critical thinking skill, and I I think that's uh, wherever we go, wherever we do in the future. Um, my husband and I, we I I think we we we're not sure about the the future, but I think it's it's like um, a law degree that's useful one way or another. So no, that's why I choose to study law. <laughs> and I think as soon as you have a bachelor degree. It opens you completely new pathways um, where, wherever you want to go. And it doesn't matter if it's law or whatever, but I think law is, yeah, I mean, you don't need to work as, I think law law is, is a great basic degree for whatever comes next, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah. and, and um, it's, it's a completely new world for me. It's a, it's a, the UK common law system. I, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam, we got a different system. That's traditional. Mm -hmm. A civil law system and mm -hmm. uh yeah so it's like everything is new completely new and mm -hmm. i think that's just like that's attract me because I do nothing about it and that's that's make me uh to to read more you know just to think more to contemplate to see the difference and to reflect yeah mm -hmm. this is really although it's like yeah, but but sometimes it's it's not that brilliant, you know, because it's like you you some like last year I I was I, I studied a difficult um subject, uh, the difficult topic, uh contract law is very dry and then it's like criminal law. Um that's so complicated. And um yeah, it's, it's like when I got I that's just a few um assignments. I thought that I couldn't do that, you know. When you realize this is like, you know, nothing at all. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. And you know what? I This is what I felt, you know, before I started art history, I felt like I already knew a lot. But after mm -hmm. the third module, I was like, I know nothing. I just know nothing. And then someone said this to me, as more you learn, you more you feel what you don't know. And this is probably with law, probably even worse, isn't it? This Mm. Oh, there's a world out there that you have no idea how big it is yeah it, it's fun it's hilarious because it's like uh, my last assignment is about the um the problem solving uh well what the the, the problem solving question is about the sadomasochism oh 
Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, this is nothing you would. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, no, I no. And it's like I, you know, it's just like a cause of thing. just like oh, and then it's like you, you, you need to read the um the you know the the laws about that. You know, it's related to the um the assault, the battery. Even is that uh, related to the consensual activity? It's so complicated, you know, and it. <laughs> It, it's quite wow. interesting. Yeah. I mm -hmm. was struggling. It is like with the assessment. Then it's like when it's all done, when it all submitted. I, I, I looked back and then I said, oh, cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think that like I heard something similar. The Vietnamese law students who discuss these topics in their assessments. Yeah. So I think that's fun. Interesting. It is. And fun. <laughs> you see, now I'm thinking, do I switch over to law? Huh. No, I think you should. I think you should. That's so cool. Okay, Trump, Sophie. Before we come to an end, is there anything you you feel like we want to? I have to. We want to talk about. You would like to share because I'm just looking at the time and I'm feeling like I have on my list four more topics. Um, but what I was wondering is. This is what I basically say to every guest, but I have to say it to you as well. We need to come. We need to meet again. Because, yeah, there is so much where I feel, oh, is there anything where I say, hi, we need to talk about this and then we will do this now. We will keep on talking. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm glad to hear that to say you would love to see me again. I hope that I, I'm a little bit worried. That's it's like, am I just talking nonsense or, you no. know, it's just like, it's just boring. <laughs> thing. No, you know. no, because, you know, I think... You know what? We just make a spoiler alert because I I would still love to talk about you are you are Asian and Asian concepts of being a wife housewife is so different to European concepts. This is what we talked about before we started the recording. This I would love to talk to you about. You know and um, how you overcome all these hurdles to explain to your parents what you are doing and yeah. But I think we need to keep this for another show, and we will definitely meet again. And we, need, if you, if you, if you're fine with it, I'm happy with this. I'm happy with this. <laughs> it's just my that that's a, the, the the kind of um, the topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, but I think we should save it uh, for another show in the future um, because yes. I, yeah, it, it's a kind of sensitive. It's not that sensitive, but I think that I need to be clear about the message that I want to to share with people. I think that's yeah. interesting. And because yeah. It is. Okay. So Sophie, before I come to the end of the show, what is it what you want to say? Is there anything you want to say now? Well, I just want to say that thank you very much, Tina, for offering me this great opportunity, despite the facts that we have not met each other in real life. However, I'll try it and I'll catch you up one day. Absolutely. Yes, because it is really funny because, yes, you lived in Saigon. I lived in Saigon, but we've actually never met. I think we've not, not even been in Saigon at the same time, but we will manage to either meet in Brunei because now I want to go to Brunei or we will meet in Saigon, but there will be a place. Um, yeah, because where, where we definitely meet. Thank you so much for coming. I think it was actually an honor for me that you were here and that you trusted me with your um, with your words. 
And so I think we will come to an end. This is going to be a longer episode. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening um, to Sophie's story. And my name is Tina. I'm the host of the show. Take good care. Thank you.